Hey, hey, so today we are going to be talking about how to prep for a long-term substitute who doesn't teach science. Now, before you turn this episode off, because you think it's only for people going on maternity leave, I want you to hang with me for a second, okay? Unfortunately, outside of pregnancy, giving us a nine-month heads up for when you will go on a long-term leave, many of us don't anticipate when we will actually need to go on an extended leave. We don't predict elderly parents getting sick and us having to take care of them. We don't predict cancer diagnoses and kids breaking legs and needing surgeries that require us to be home with them for six weeks. We don't predict mental breakdowns, you know, or if you're like me in 2017 and 2018, you may be adopting and you truly cannot predict when you will get the call. You know, if you've adopted, you know what I mean. I have personally known so many teacher friends over the years that I've had these unexpected long-term or extended leaves of absence come up. And it seems like nine out of 10 times, they end up with a substitute who is not trained in what they teach, especially as science teachers. It's so hard to find people that are trained in exactly what we teach. So what do we do? What can you do to prep so that if this one day becomes your reality, you aren't scrambling to pick up the pieces to keep your class, you know, semi-running in your absence? We are going to cover all of this in today's episode. So let's dive in. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I am passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You are in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Like I said at the top of the episode, I once had to prep for maternity leave that could start at any time with absolutely no warning. And this affected me over the course of two different school years as we walked through the adoption process. So on the bright side, it's at least I kind of knew from the beginning that, that there was no way they could find me a substitute that actually taught science. Like they straight up said, hey, there's no way like in our pool of substitutes that we're even going to potentially draw from. The likelihood of finding someone who is trained in science, let alone the five preps you teach, is slim. So I at least knew on the front end I needed to prep for the reality that my students needed to be able to learn for an extended period of time without someone actually being in the room that can help them learn the content because whatever teacher was going to be in the room was not going to know the content. Okay, so what do you do in this scenario? Now, again, let me say this. I'm talking specifically about being semi-prepared for a long-term absence, whether that's planned or unplanned. If you just want some strategies for how to prep for any last minute day out here or there, go back and listen to episode 16. It's one of the very first podcast episodes I ever did. That episode is specifically about those last minute absences. Like you get sick, your kid gets sick, you're gonna be out for a day or two. Maybe even you have a planned trip or a funeral comes up, but it's still going to only be like two or three days. For this episode, we're talking about long-term situations. You're going to be out for several weeks, potentially months. Okay. So I have six tips for you. First, 
make a general substitute guide sheet. This is something I talk about back in episode 16. I think every teacher should have this no matter what. This is one of those things you can be so proactive about and it could just really set you up for success down the road, especially if you have an unplanned absence. So this is for any substitute for any length of time. But basically what I put on my general substitute guide sheet is I have the bell schedule for the school and the classes that I specifically teach. I have the classroom rules and procedures that I am really passionate about reinforcing. I have the names of my neighboring teachers and, you know, people on the hall and their room numbers who they can ask for help. Like it doesn't even have to necessarily be a science person, but hey, you can go down there. You can ask Mrs. Johns. She'll help you with copies or whatever. I just like to have a couple point people for them. And I like to also include, in addition to those teachers that can help them, some student helpers in each class. Okay, so what I do is I basically think through my students and think, who are those one to two students that like, if we need the honest truth from them, they're going to give it, you know, like you've got those students are going to try to work this up. This is not those people. We want the most like black and white, straight edge you know, keep it on the straight and narrow student possible to be considered a student helper. And so you're going to put one, I'd say one to three names for each class if you can, preferably, I mean, up to three would be great. One, two is totally fine. That way, in case one is absent, you have another person. I think that's really helpful for these subs to know, like I can ask Kendra, she's going to tell me the truth here. And then also include rosters for each class. Obviously your rosters can change all year. So this is something you know, that can be tricky. I recommend putting at the top of your rosters, like this is the roster as of February 5th, 2024, or whatever the date is. That way they can see like, oh, this is six months from when she printed this. There might be a more updated version of this. And then the other thing I'll say is when you're making this general substitute guide sheet, try to write it in a way that's useful for the entire year. So you're not having to edit it throughout the school year. If you have a semester block class, obviously that's different. You would probably need to make a fall semester and a spring semester version of this. But if you're teaching the same class as all your same students, I would just make one version of this for the whole year and then put this on your list of tasks to do at the beginning of the year every year so you have this available. Okay, so first make that general substitute guide sheet. That's good for anybody. Oh, and I guess I should also say this too. Put that guide sheet, you know, somewhere that's easy to access. It could be in, you know, the top right drawer of your desk. It could be in your demo table. You could just have a copy that you email to your department chair to have access to. Something like that. We just want it to be readily accessible. The second tip I want to give you is review your lesson plans or someone else's that you are considering maybe purchasing, whatever. Review those lesson plans and make sure that they are clear enough that anyone could log into your Google Drive or your Dropbox right now and follow where you are and where you're going, that is what we want to be the standard. If no one could step in and follow you, that means you have way too much information held in your head and not written down somewhere. And if that's the case, I really recommend outsourcing this, especially if you're going on a maternity leave or something where you're having, you can predict when you're gonna be gone and you know what those units can be. Ask your admin, like, hey, will you pay for these resources for three units that I'm going to be out? Okay, I'm going to be out three months, three units. Will you cover it so that they are written in a way that's clear enough that anyone could pick up and teach them? You want resources that are not only clear to the teacher for how to implement, but you want those that are heavily focused on student autonomy. 
And I would also say a bonus if your resources are packet-based or workbook-based because this will minimize copies for the sub and just make it a lot easier for them practically. I think this is something too, if you do get thrown with a last-minute absence that you're not planning, it's going to be long-term. This is where I think you cut your losses and you just say, I'm going to buy the couple units. I need to get my students through where they are instead of trying to like rally and piece all these things together. In the meantime, though, you can try to be more cognizant of this to prevent it by beefing up whatever lesson plans you have, getting what's in your head down on paper so that someone could pick up with it. I remember you know, always thinking like, no one will do it like I can, no one will do it as well as I can. And of course that is true, but also people can do a pretty decent job if you can communicate what you expect of them and what you hope for them. And so make sure you're having, you're using lesson plans of your own or someone else's that are extremely clear that anybody could walk in, read it and execute it. The third thing I'll say that'll help with this is Go ahead and record yourself teaching lecture videos as you do them so you have a whole bank of lecture videos somewhere or use someone else's who's already done this, okay? I have all my lecture videos for free on my YouTube channel. Bozeman Science has so many lecture videos for AP subjects. Like there's so many people out there that have lecture videos that you can use. And this is critical if you're gonna have a sub who can't teach science. Like If they are not trained in science, I would not expect them to teach science, okay? I just think it's going to be too complicated. All they're going to be doing is reading slides. They're not going to be able to explain or answer questions. And so I really think you need to plan on relying on someone else being the one who's lecturing to your students if it's not you, if you're not pre-recording all of your lecture videos, okay? Utilize someone else's that already exist. I have biology, anatomy, physical science, chemistry. Like you can use mine. There, I made them public on YouTube for a reason because I wanted to help people with those, okay? The fourth thing I would encourage you to do too, especially if you think your absence might be like three to four weeks, you know, you could maybe get by without moving on to a new unit is have your students do a project during that time, a long-term project. I have a ton of projects in my store and they're all incredibly independent for students to do, they can do them without you intervening a lot. And so I would have your students do independent research projects. I think this is a great way to stretch them, stretch their autonomy, but also give you some flexibility and freedom there and not having to plan out like 45 straight days of content and teaching, okay? Independent research projects will be your friend. My fifth practical tip for having a long-term sub that is not science trained at all is do class swaps for any critical labs, okay? Please do not do labs with someone who's not trained to do it. It is a serious safety concern. And when they told me when I was going on my mat leave that I wasn't gonna have a science sub, I said, okay, that's fine. You just have to understand, like I teach all of these lab sciences. I'm not letting someone do a lab in these lab science courses that cannot keep my students safe, period. It is not worth it to me. So we need to have an alternative here. And so what we did was the other teachers in my department, you know, I kind of just really narrowed it down for my maternity leave when once it did happen, because again, it was pretty unexpected. But when it did happen, I kind of did an audit and I was like, okay, these are like the two or three labs I want them to do for the rest of the year that I think are really important. And I had another teacher in my department be in charge of those labs. And so then on the day that that lab would be, Maybe Mr. Parker comes in and he teaches my class. He runs the lab with them while my sub goes to his class and monitors them taking a test or, 
you know, monitors them doing independent practice or something like that. So work around the schedule. Obviously have your sub coordinate with these other teachers, work around their schedules because they're doing you a solid. But also, I mean, your department hopefully will be willing to help you and step up. And I've found like, especially with any sort of last minute crisis, people really want to be of help. And, you know, they want to bring a meal or they just want to do something to feel like they're helping. This is a way that people who work with you can help say, Hey, you want to do something that could help? This would be really helpful. Like, for instance, I have this ecosystem in a bottle investigation and it is my students' favorite thing that they do all year long. Every year, students who are coming into my class for the first time know that they get to do it. They're so excited. Like, they talk about it. So luckily in my situation, I hadn't given birth. And so even though I had like a 10 day old son, I came in, I stepped in and I did the lab setup with him that first day that was really required, like a lot of hands-on help of someone knowing what's going on. And then on the end of the lab day where there is a lot of cleanup and it required definitely someone who knew what they were doing, I had another teacher step in there. So Again, I'm not like showing up on my extended leave to do every lab in the planet, like an osmosis lab. But the one that really felt like students were going to be really missing out if they didn't get this learning experience, I personally was able to come back for that. But if you can't, try to get a class swap with another teacher. So we're going to make a general substitute guide. You're going to review your lesson plans. Make sure they're written in a detailed enough way that anyone could step in and follow them. If not, You're going to have someone else's resources that they've made on deck, like you'd be willing to purchase theirs. You've already reviewed them. You're ready that if you need to purchase something, you would buy theirs when the time comes. You're going to record your lecture videos or find someone else who you like their teaching style and use their lecture videos. You're going to emphasize students doing independent research projects to try to lighten the load while you're gone. You'll do a class swap for any critical labs. And then the last thing I want to say, and this is the trickiest one, but I feel the most passionate about it is do not have the subgrade anything for accuracy, period, end of statement, end of story. I would let the sub spot check for completion and I would let them grade projects with extremely generous rubrics, but that is it. Probably the biggest mistake of my long-term unexpected maternity leave was that, and again, I knew that these people were not science trained. I left them all the answer keys though. Y'all, I ended up coming back after nine weeks just to administer final exams and grade them and just kind of like review the grades, wrap them up for the year. There were students that had been B students for three quarters for me that were D students for this teacher. And I start calling people in. I start looking at the work they had done. I mean, it was just chaotic. Like I'm thinking about my physical science class and them doing some of these math problems. And it's a five point math problem. Sub, all they're sub seeing is the final answer wrong. They're taking off five points. Whereas I go in and I'm like, they literally got everything right. They just punched in their calculator wrong. I would have given them a four out of five for this question, only taking off one. And at the time I got really frustrated with the sub. Like I just felt like kids' grades were wrecked. And that was the only time in my entire career where I ever went in and I man- manually overrode people's grades. Luckily, Based on how the quarters and the midterms and finals all worked out, most kids were still fine and still pretty close to where they had been. But there were probably 10 students over my six classes that I had to go in and manually override their grade because I was like, this quarter, it just does not reflect where you were at at all. And so I just really wish I had not expected or encouraged my substitute to grade. I wish that I'd had more conversations with my admin 
about what they needed to grade. Honestly, especially because the way it worked out, my son was born the last day of quarter three. So I wrapped up, I like, we got the call that morning on my way to work that, you know, his first mom was in labor at the hospital, whatever. I went to work that day. I spent the day finalizing my quarter three grades. Y'all never in my life have I done this. I put on a sciencey movie for each class period. And I just went through and was like, hey, you have five missing assignments. Like I was just like following up with kids. I was pulling them out of orchestra. I was stalking kids during recess and lunch. Like I was like, give me your assignments. I'm literally grading everything right now because I wanted all the grades finalized before I left. Because as soon as school was out, we drove four hours and we met our son for the first time. And then I was on leave. So I had the quarter three grades wrapped up. So they all of quarter four was purely them with a non-science teacher sub. And so... I just wish I had talked to my admin and been like, hey, can we somehow just count this quarter as like a pass fail situation? Like, I understand that you can't change the grade book because it's set up for the year, whatever. But us as people, let's just say this is going to be pass fail. And if the kids pass, they're going to get, you know, even on a go on a standards based grading scale, if pass fail is too harsh, like, you know, if they're meeting expectations, they're going to get a 90. If they're exceeding expectations, they'll get a hundred for this quarter. Like coming up with some sort of scale like that, that is so much more fair and not requiring someone who doesn't know science to be giving people grades on stuff they don't understand. I, I don't know how else to say it. It was just like a really frustrating situation. And I wish to like, even my tests, like I feel like my CP tests especially don't have a lot of like long open-ended questions. It's a lot of multiple choice, matching, fill in the blank. But even still, like, I wish I'd done that even more, like taken out, if I was going to give a test, like no essays, no open response, make them all Scantron for the time that you're gone. It just, it wasn't fair to the students. And I had students so discouraged. I had students crying during their final exam because they felt like they knew nothing. And yeah, it was just, it did not go well. And so I'm hoping that through this episode, other people can learn from my mistakes If you're knowing that this extended absence is planned ahead of time, like you're going on that leave, go ahead now, have a conversation with your admin. What can we do about the grading situation here? You should not be grading when you're on leave, especially if your leave was like mine and is unpaid, okay? You're not doing any work while you're gone. So the solution is not for you to come pick up the work every Friday and grade on the weekends, okay? Hear me say that. That is not the solution. The solution is if your admin can't find a science-trained sub Totally. We understand that. We're going to work with that. But then your admin needs to come up with some system with you that doesn't punish your students during this time. Do you need to communicate that to your students? Not necessarily. Like still have them do their best, submit assignments, et cetera. But you need to have something going on behind the scenes where you can make sure that these grades are an accurate reflection of where they are and who is actually teaching them. Okay. So hopefully this felt like a little bit of a chaotic episode. I don't know if you can tell, but my neighbor's getting a new roof. And so I feel like I keep getting distracted by things going on in the background. But I hope that this was helpful for you. And whether you're prepping for maternity leave and you know you're going to have this non-science sub or, you know, maybe you're thinking of, heaven forbid, something happened to one of your elderly parents, but like you're like, this could be something I tuck away for later. Hopefully you got some something practical that can help you in this episode. And if you want any links that I mentioned, like if you want to check out my YouTube channel with all the free videos, anything like that, you can grab those in the show notes at it's not rocket science classroom.com slash episode 117. And if you have not left a review yet, I would love it if you've ever had a sub who is not science trained in the slightest, then please leave us a review today. 
All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.